0: unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. At butcherboxcom morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order.
1: There were two more murders
0: 15 miles away. When police arrived, the they Etc. found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a
1: weird homicide a scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird
0: morning cup of murder. Not all cases are destined to be solved. There are some heartbreaking stories that may never find a conclusion, or at least not one that cushions the blow of death. On January 10th, 1977, two women lost their lives in a murder that remains unsolved. A murder, some speculate, the police don't want to solve. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Susan Bartlett and Suzanne Armstrong were two old friends who, after Suzanne gave birth to her son and chose to leave his father in Greece to be a single mother, decided to live together in a home on Easy Street in Collingwood, Australia, and help one another out. Susan was a high school teacher during the day while Suzanne stayed home to take care of her 16-month-old son, Gregory. The girls, who were lovingly referred to as the Two Sues, spent the evening of January 10, 1977, entertaining Susan's brother and his girlfriend while he helped set up some entertainment equipment in the home. The couple left around 10 p.m. and made plans to meet up for dinner the next week. Unfortunately, the Su's would never make it to their dinner plans. Because in the hours after Susan's brother and girlfriend left, an unknown assailant entered the home, came into 28-year-old Suzanne's bedroom, and began sexually assaulting her. When he finished, he began stabbing the woman repeatedly. Her struggle alerted her friend, and 27-year-old Susan ran into the bedroom to try and help. She, too, was attacked and left face down in the hallway with about 55 slash wounds covering her body. Young Gregory, thankfully, was left unharmed. Their bodies and the one-year-old remained undiscovered in the home until a neighbor, one who already came to the house days before to leave a note on their door about their dog, heard Gregory whimpering. When police arrived, they were greeted with a grisly sight. Both sides of the narrow hallway where Susan was attacked were covered with blood and bloody handprints, almost as though either both or one of the women tried to steady herself as she walked down the hall and at the end was the crumbled body of the young woman who tried to help her friend. A friend who lay nearby, naked from the waist down, with 29 stab wounds and pools of congealed blood surrounding her head. The scene was described as incredibly brutal and required extraordinary strength and blind rage, though there were no signs of forced entry into the home. And the killer spent enough time inside to wash himself or herself up in the bathtub before leaving. On the kitchen table was a note from Suzanne's boyfriend, asking her to call him when she got home, who slipped it onto the table after his calls and knocks went unanswered, completely unaware that, had he stepped into the house further, he would have happened upon a crime scene. Days later, the knife used in what was being called the Easy Street Murders was found near the Victoria Park Railway Station, leading investigators to believe that their suspect likely fled via train and in a drain about two blocks away was the washcloth investigators believed was used by the killer to clean the blood off of his or her hands. But with that came the end of what they knew about the murders. The Easy Street murders remain unsolved to this day, though like all cold cases, there is no shortage of theories floating around. One of the earliest suspects in the crime was Gregory's father. It made sense As far as everyone knew, Suzanne took the child away from the father and revenge seemed like a likely motive. But if the Greek man stepped foot in Australia, they would have records of it. He was cleared pretty quickly after becoming a suspect. Then there was Barry Woodard, Suzanne's boyfriend, who walked into the house but failed to see the bodies. He and his brother, who accompanied him, both corroborated each other's stories and were both cleared via DNA. Next suspect was an unknown salesman who admitted to coming to the location of the Easy Street murders. He was interested in Susan Bartlett and told officers that he entered her home through her window with the intention of getting her phone number. He, like Suzanne's boyfriend, failed to see the bodies. But again, he was cleared by DNA despite his disturbing story. A neighbor of theirs, a man named Steve Cox, was also a suspect for quite some time and, though he was cleared via DNA, would go on to make a number of art pieces centered around the murders of his neighbors. The last of the known suspects was a crime reporter, John Grant, who was also a suspect in the 1975 disappearance of an American tourist named Julia Garcia Lay. At the time of the Easy Street murders, he was sleeping in the house next door, though that and his previous connection to a missing woman seemed to be the only things connecting him to the Sue's murders. In total, there were about eight suspects in the Easy Street murders, but according to investigators, all have been cleared via DNA, which has led many to wonder, do the police want to solve this murder? According to sources, important witnesses and suspects have been left completely unchecked by investigators, like Gail Armstrong, Suzanne's sister who worked as a shearer's cook, and other members of the victim's families who were never even brought in for questioning and many remain steadfast that Barry Woodard, the boyfriend, should have remained a suspect. He was a shearer by trade, meaning he was skilled with a knife and admitted to being in the house just after the murder. Supposedly, there were newspaper clippings found on the kitchen table, which at first seemed innocuous, but soon drew some major attention. They were dated January 13, 1977, three days after the murder. That means someone brought the paper into the house while the women lay dead on the floor. If all of this information and evidence seems confusing, then you understand the problem people have with this case. Investigators have been accused of being purposely misleading and slow in their work on this case, like when they said the assailant came through Susan's window, but that Susan wasn't attacked until she came to the aid of Suzanne. Not only that, but the case was halted and police were pulled from the investigation pretty soon after the case went cold. So maybe it isn't the investigators who don't want it solved, but some higher up somewhere. Regardless, the Easy Street murders remain a stain on the city and have left many traumatized for years to come. And despite the $1 million reward offered for any information, there doesn't seem to be any update on the case. But if the confusing information is any indication, it might not ever be truly solved. Since the attack, little Gregory has been adopted by Suzanne's sister, the little boy who was spared by a merciless killer. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on January 11th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Hey, have you ever used cheapo air
1: for years and I really like it?